You're listening to Empowered Parenting, real parents, real stories. Tune in to help you and your children build resilience. Let's get connected. Welcome to Empowered Parenting, real parents, real stories. And today is a very special episode. Um, And it's an episode that it was actually inspired uh, by a very wise woman. And this wise woman once said, you can't go around it, you have to go through it. And the wise woman was actually Elisa's mom. And this was something that she spoke to Elisa on from a mom to a daughter. Elisa's mom said that to Elisa, um, literally the way a parent might speak to their own child, uh, about this whole idea of when we hit a wall, when we hit an upset, um, that we have to go through it, we can't go around it. And this inspired us to do this whole episode about uh, when kids have tantrums or outbursts or meltdowns. But I think what's going to be interesting in this episode is that it is not going to be uh, how to manage the tantrum. Uh, It's actually going to be an episode that hopefully will help parents understand how tantrums or meltdowns are actually beautiful opportunities for growth, beautiful opportunities to build resilience, um, and a beautiful opportunity for a parent to feel exactly those same things as they guide their child. Uh, however young or old the child is, to feel those things. And I couldn't be more thrilled to have the most special guest today, our guest parent, Elisa, my wonderful, amazing co-host, who's going to actually be the parent who's going to talk to us all about this. And Elisa, by the way, for those of you who, who may be new to the podcast, Alisa uh, has a husband named Rob, and Alisa has two kids. She's got two boys. She's got an older boy who's 12, his name is Ben, and a younger boy who's seven, his name is Noah. Cindy, I'm so actually really glad that you opened with that line from my mom, because if you think about, my mom said that to me when I was going through a particularly hard time in my life. And I imagine it, it sort of encompasses everything that I want our listeners to take away from today, because my mom said that to me as my parent, going through a very difficult time in life, saying to me, Elisa, you can't go around it, you have to go through it. And I'm going to be 40 in a month. And so she's spent the past 40 years teaching me that I can go through these hard moments, that I have the ability, that I have the tools. And she's been working at that for 40 years. I realized that's what I've been doing with Noah. And Noah and I, I think, are this beautiful success story of using tantrums, dysregulation, moments of upset, any kind of adversity. It's been a journey for both of us. And it's been so empowering to me as a parent to know that together we're helping him learn to feel competent and learn to be able to go through the hard times. And so when he's 40 and I say to him, darling, you can't go around it. You have to go through it. All I know that I've, I've done this phenomenal work with him. And so that's why I didn't want this to be a how-to of tantrums because there's so much of that out there, Cindy. I want our listeners 
to understand the journey and how empowering tantruming and dysregulation can be as a life lesson for your kids and skill building. And it's just. Okay. So I'm going to pause you for a second because I even have like shivers as you're talking. Okay. So this is, I mean, it's for you, Elisa, but it's for our listeners. What a crazy concept. The idea of we're not going to fear tantrums or outbursts. We're not going to try so hard to fix them, but we're going to change the lens entirely. And we are going to use those as opportunities for growth and empowerment for both ourselves as parents and our kids. I love it. It's such an optimistic way of looking and dealing with challenging parenting moments. So I'm wondering, Elisa, can you, can you tell us a little bit more about kind of yours and Noah's growth process and evolution, let's say from he when he was little to now. So Cindy, when we first met and Noah was three, like he was like this tiny little being and his, his, his tantrums looked to somebody who wasn't yet like fully aware of Noah, what was going on for him, they looked very behavioral. And so when I came to you, originally when my sister had sent me to you is because I, I didn't know how to deal, manage the tantrum. And I was getting angry and frustrated. And he was just like this poor little puddle. And so <laughs> I remember it was like the weirdest thing that you said to me and you said, give him a pacifier. And I was like, why would I give him a pacifier? That's so permissive. It's so this, it's so that. And you were like, just love him in that moment. And so that's how I learned to really connect with Noah. Um, it was like an entry point of love. And it, it made me see him as this like little member of my team. We're in this moment. You are dysregulated. I'm naturally dysregulated because you dysregulate, I dysregulate. And here we go. So like, and it was sort of like from sticking his pacifier into his mouth, you know, it was probably like four or five months of that until he sort of got to this place where he was a little bit more, um, he wasn't just this like stuffed animal on my side that I had to get through the tantrum. He started to be like a participant in it. And that's when you introduced me to this idea of a message of competency. If you have an 18 month old or a three-year-old, like you sort of just like ride out the tantrum with love, compassion, you get through to the other side, whatever. But the starting point of the journey was this idea of reflecting back to, to Noah, what he had gone through and how cool it was that he had gone through it and that he'd pushed through. So like, I love the way that you, you know, calm down. I love, like, that must feel so good that you were able to push through that, buddy. Um, I know that you can handle this. Every, every, every moment of dysregulation since he, he was like about four, like once we hit the four mark was always, I know that you can handle this. I love the way that you handle this. I know this feels not nice, but I know that you can handle this, this firm, firm, firm message of competency. And as Noah has gotten older, it's not like he doesn't tantrum in like a three-year-old, you know, he has moments of, um, 
I don't like this. And he'll go from zero to a hundred. Okay. Elisa, you have to pause. Like, I know you've only been talking literally for 60 seconds, but you actually just said a thousand things. <laughs> and I want to highlight them because so much of what you just said is, is what I want listeners to hear. We're going to rewind the tape. So you talked about how when Noah was really little, you kind of got over a little bit seeing his tantrums at that point as being behavior. And you took a much more loving approach and you would take him up to his room and you would give him his pacifier in the name of helping him to settle. Weirdest question I have for you. What was your version of a pacifier in that exact moment? I love that question. Um, the pacifier was knowing that all I had to do was love Noah. That was what calmed me. That's what set me free. Um, so I compassion. Did, compassion. Compassion. I didn't really. have to teach him a lesson. I didn't have to discipline him. I just had to see his, like, it, it just connected me to him, like this poor little buddy, like, and he was so sweet. Um, and he just okay, so wait, pause. Okay. Lisa, again, I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you, but like you keep saying really important things and I really want to highlight them. So you talked about how, like for you, you think your metaphoric pacifier was compassion that you knew in that moment, you needed to just love him and understand where he was coming from. I'm going to add on to that because I really want listeners to appreciate this entry point to when our kids, no matter what their age is, have a moment of real upset, fear, frustration, whatever dysregulation. And that is the component of acceptance. Compassion is giving empathy and understanding. Acceptance is a whole other level. Acceptance is saying, I accept and know that you are having a feeling right now and that's okay. I accept that. It is okay for you to have this feeling. And I think that that has been your pacifier. It is a marriage of compassion and acceptance that freed you up to say, I don't have to fix this. I have to hold it and I have to go through it. And I think that's probably what freed you up. And I think that probably that's what would free up most parents as they journey through hard moments with their kids. 100%, 100%. And it's, for me, what's been so I said this in our first episode, what's been such um, uh, a huge piece of this is knowing my role in all of it. Like I'm the captain of Noah's team. My husband is phenomenal. He's amazing at um, helping Noah. Um, but for some reason, you know, Noah and I, I can de-escalate a little bit quicker than my husband can. And that's, there's something that's fine. Um, and so the past, you know, four years of this journey has been knowing if I'm okay, Noah's going to be okay. If I'm not okay, a hundred percent, Noah's not going to be okay. And there's times in it and like, I'm human, right? So there's times where we'll be somewhere um, we're at an outing, we're at a family event, we're at something and Noah gets really stuck in a moment. And again, it's not behavior. It's, 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 it's whatever it is. It's something didn't happen in the way that he thought that it was going to, um, things didn't go his way. Things that are really normal for a kid to be upset about, but Noah 
some, and his mother is exactly the same way. So he gets it from me has really big reactions to things as do I, I can dysregulate really, really, really quickly too. I don't, I've learned to not show that to the world, but like ask Rob and he'll hundred percent agree with you. Ask my family, they'll hundred percent agree. Um, and so he'll have a really big reaction to something and I'm just like, I'll get resentful. I'll get angry. I'll get, why is my kid like this? Every other kid at the park is not like this. Why is my kid ruining whatever? And like the poor kid is not actually doing any of those things. His mother is just fully dysregulated alongside with him and feels like putting in some blame and shame and, and God knows what's going on through a little bit mind. of anxiety too, I would say gets thrown in there. Yes. Catast- I catastrophize a lot too. So I'll take, you know, it, it, something at the park if he's disappointed that his friends don't want to do what he wants to do and he has this huge reaction to it. I'll catastrophize and go on, you know, okay, well, no one's ever going to want to play with him again. No one's ever going to want to. And like, those are such crazy thoughts to have in that moment. So let's do a reframe actually. Cause I actually think, you know, okay, maybe those are crazy thoughts, but, but they're thoughts based on your own emotional body. And I think they're thoughts that a lot of parents have when their kid is like really seriously stuck in a dysregulated moment. And so I think the reframe is, and this is a very, it's perspective taking the reframe is Uh, no, my kid's not doing any of those things. My kid is actually having a feeling and we know that all feelings are okay. And so as a parent, I'm choosing the lens of appreciating what is really going on here and not what my anxious brain is telling me is going on here. And that is my kid is expressing a feeling. My child is doing it in their way. And okay. Yeah. Like I know my bigger goal is to eventually and over time, help them to manage those feelings better. But in this moment, it's a feeling. And so I need to accept that. I need to be compassionate to that. And I need to, so this is the message of competency. I need to trust that I can hold it. And I also need to trust that my kid will also get through it. But I actually think, Elisa, only because you talked about like you and Rob and how you guys might each respond and react differently. um, I actually want to pause you, talk about putting everybody on the spot. Can we bring Rob in? Totally. I'd, I would, yeah. I'm so interested to actually get a bit of perspective taking on Rob. We'll get back to you, Elisa, because I think there's so much more to say about, you know, the, the, a little bit of the tangibles, like, okay, compassion, acceptance, message of competence. And there is a component of teaching skills, teaching emotion regulation. Although the truth is that teaching should never happen in the moment of an outburst or a meltdown that happens later. So let's pause and I'm gonna ask you to go fetch your husband. I wanna talk to him. Okay. So Rob, Elisa's husband, so glad that you can participate and actually so interesting for for me to actually have like a mother father team speaking to a topic. And so your lovely wife, Elisa, um, you know, we already talked a little bit about kind of how her feelings and her thoughts about managing when either one of your kids might be having like a really dysregulated or escalate or like outbursty tantrumy kind of moment. And, and we know as humans, uh, kids having tantrums or kids having big emotional reactions typically um, push us as parents you know, it's one of those parenting moments that could feel hard for us too, because they're highly charged. And so I was so interested to hear from you, kind of from like a dad's perspective. 
what what is it like for you when you are in the throes or or head to head or needing to hold either one of your kids through them going through a very intense or tantrumy kind of moment? Um, I think I struggle with although I know the strategies um, after you know learning them um, you know in sessions with you um, that we did privately. Um, based on our kids, I think I, I often struggle with the translation of those strategies from the, the world of just discussing them as adults, as concepts and ideas and, and methods to that heightened moment when your kid is screaming at you or whatever's happening um, that, they're fight, that they're angry about. Um, it's really difficult to then apply those in the heat of the moment. And when you it's, say it, those are strategies, are you referencing kind of the notion of like how to be compassionate, how to yes. be empathic? Okay. Yeah, exactly. How to get down to their level, how to make them understand that you understand what they're going through. And therefore that will deescalate how they're feeling because they will recognize and they will, that you understand what they're feeling and that you're validating what they're feeling and they can, you're there to help them work through it. And get to the other side, but it, it, having that mental discipline to remember how to do that and what words to use uh, while they're, you know, screaming at you or lying on the floor or rolling around or doing whatever they're doing uh, is, is very, I find very difficult um, to do as a, as a parent. Absolutely. And I would imagine it's kind of twofold because it's the mental discipline to remember, then to know what it is, like how you're supposed to say it. But then what about the emotional component of like kind of wanting to do it, having the patience and the emotional wherewithal to actually put all that together versus, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, feeling, feeling impatient in the moment, feeling frustrated in the moment, feeling otherwise thin because you've already had a hard day, finding the emotional space to be compassionate. Yes. Yeah, that's very difficult, particularly in situations where it's one thing if it's Saturday afternoon and, you know, there's a tantrum about, you know, the end of screen time or, or whatever it may be. Um, it's the moments like uh, getting out the door in the morning to school where there'll be a tantrum related to whether it's sibling rivalry or whatever it is. The, but in that moment where you're all you're trying to do is get your kids ready for school and get them out the door so that you can get them to school and get home in time to start work or whatever it is. It, it, trying to in that kind of heightened situation where you have all this pressure on you to just be doing what you're doing and then now you have to deal with this extra layer and you've also got to remember all these strategies and remember the right words because you trying to think oh well that doesn't seem like the quickest way through this because i'm just trying to get out the damn door and i i have to pause stop think get down to his level have a conversation and try and use those strategies but I really just want to drag him at the door and throw him in the car because that's the quickest way of getting from point A to point B. So that's, that's a, that's a, that's a definite struggle. Totally. And I think what you just identified is just a very practical reality, you know, that sometimes we don't have the wherewithal for all sorts of reasons to do. And I, and if people could see me, I'm like doing air quotes now to do what we should do or to do what we know our kids need but we're on a time crunch and there's too much going on and we just can't. Uh, so I really appreciate your honesty with that. And so this is where like, I have the luxury of asking parents kind of deeper, maybe more personal, but honest questions. Do you have 
kind of a token default strategy that you use for those moments when you can't do it the way you know you should. Right. I think sometimes when, for whatever reason, you don't have the wherewithal to to do that, then there, or it really depends on, 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 I think on what emotional state you're in at that point and what kind of day you've had and what's going on in your brain and your mind on that day and what pressures you're under. But there is definitely times where I just know that for whatever reason, I do not have the mental capacity to do that. I just can't. And I think everybody experiences that and expressing that to the kid sometimes is just what you do it's just a reaction and uh it, it is something that i've done and it doesn't always work um but expressing the fact that you're as an adult are just done and that you, you don't have the patience to deal with them and be understanding and empathetic and everything to them at that moment you just you just don't have it and uh trying to convey that to them sometimes can give them pause um to to see what's happening in your mind as well as what's happening with them. And so, I mean, listen, I think that's fair. And I, and I think that's, that almost sounds like you, even though you may not have the wherewithal in the moment, it sounds like you're still trying to find something that could have value um, without being injurious. And so for you, Rob, but certainly for the listeners, I would just want to tweak that a tiny bit because it's not all so wrong. Um, so first of all, let's just say, when a tantrum or a big conflict eventually dissipates and, and should there be the opportunity to kind of go back and process, uh, there is always opportunity then to help a child understand not just their own feelings, but also the impact of their behavior on other people, be it their parent or their sibling. That's appropriate. That's part of learning. The tricky part is when we try to do that in the heat of the moment, because it ten- it will likely not be heard the way it's intended by the kid. However, to your point, Rob, without a parent needing to go into a whole um, monologue with their kid about how, you know, they're running thin, and this is the parent speaking, you know, I'm running thing, and I don't have the patience to deal with this right now, and I just can't be doing hair, which like is not great for a kid to hold. It is always okay for a parent to say to a kid with calm, you know what, honey? you're kind of stuck. I'm actually a little bit stuck. And you know what? Like I need to remove myself for a few minutes. I need a few space, a little bit of space just for me. I love you. We're good, but I need to like take breath. That is fully appropriate to do. It is not going to be injurious. It's probably even healthy for both parties. So to your point, Rob, I think what you're saying is like, sometimes I just like, I can't, I can't do what I'm supposed to do. And to, for all parents to know there are options because none of it, I do this for a living and I don't parent like this all the time. I'm human. And so it's to know that there are safe and healthy options to use when we can't kind of give, you know, the healthiest version of parenting, but we can still give good parenting. And so the idea of letting our kids know that we might be stuck to and taking space is totally appropriate. Yeah. And I think it's real. I, I think, I think it's, it's, you know, to, to, to pretend that or to, to even pretend or strive to be able to react in the appropriate way every time. It's just, it's, it's a fallacy. It's not, 
it's not actually achievable by any human. So there is going to be, there has to be that other side of it that, that does exist. And, and as you say, if you can do it in a way that's not injurious, then it's real. Absolutely. And to your point, we don't want our kids growing up in laboratories right. with parents who are so perfectly regulated and so perfectly compassionate. Because well, then when you find those earth... parents, let me know where you find them. <laughs> I don't know any of them. Never mind the fact that like, how on earth will our kids learn to manage conflict if we don't, if we don't give them the opportunity to a little bit in their home relationships where they're so safe. Rob, thank you a million times over. I know we literally just like pulled you from work. So thank you for giving us the time. Um, I know that you're very busy as well. And thank you for being such an amazing dad because I know that you are. Thank you, Cindy. For sure. Lisa, I adore your husband, first of all. Um, <laughs> He's pretty adorable. And I, I am so glad that he was able to pop in with us for a few minutes. And just before Rob came in, um, I kind of like springboarded off what you were saying, this idea of like compassion and acceptance are so critical in, in joining with our kids and, and actually helping our kids go through rough moments. Um, but then I, I think before Rob came on, I mentioned that there's also kind of like a teachable component that comes from these hard moments. But I was wondering, can you actually now kind of concretize once you, frankly, whether it's, whether it's Noah or Ben or even Rob or even yourself, once you have gone through the kind of volcano, volcano part of the emotion and, and had the eruption or Noah had the eruption or Ben had the eruption and you get to a bit of a calmer place, whether it's 15 minutes later, an hour later, two hours later, it doesn't really matter. Can you walk me through what happens after that? What's the process after that? Yeah. It's so interesting actually, cause I, I I don't talk a lot about Ben here, but like it, it, it is the same with Ben and, and Ben's obviously like Ben is 12 and his, his big feelings come out in obviously in different ways, but it is, it is the same sort of like approach and formula that I've developed. I've learned through the process of learning to, um, my journey with Noah. Um, but it, it, and it's so it, it goes something like this. Whether the dysregulation or if it's been, if it's a really big feeling or re like, like really stuck in the cycle of like worried thoughts, whatever it is, um, at first it's like a quick love. It's like, if they'll like, and both my kids, um, both my kids will take the love. They love the love. Um, so it's a quick, it's a hug, it's a smooch, it's a whatever. And even at 12, it's like, it's still really powerful. Um, and then if there's been any bad behavior on the part of their mother, <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's definitely a repair. There is a, um, like they call me Ema. It'll be like, Ema had a really big feeling too, or I'm really sorry that I yelled. Like it was, that was hard on me too. And like, I shouldn't have done that. Um, so I'll reflect to them that I didn't, um, behave well. Um, and then it's, it is a message of competency. So, um, it's, um, like saying like, if Ben comes home and he's had like a really hard day and he says like, I, you know, I was worried all day or I was anxious all day or whatever, it'll be saying to him, like, 
that must've been really hard. Like I can't imagine being at school the whole day and feeling like that. And like, look, dude, you push through, like that must feel really good. Like, that's awesome. Like, you know, that, um, you can have a hard day, you can do hard things and you'll get through to the other side. Like that's, and, and like, and then that will lead me into a teachable moment. So for Noah, let's take, you know, Noah at the, one of the times when I tend to dysregulate the most is if we're like in public and we're supposed to be doing something fun, like the should, this should be good. This should be fun. This should be whatever. Why do you have to ruin it? Well, he's not ruining it. He's just being a little human. Um, but it's really more about me in that moment. I don't want to get off the bench. I'm talking to my friends and go deal with the fact that his friends aren't doing what they want him, what he wants them to do. So in that moment, once the message of competency would be, um, you had a really big feeling in the park and, you know, like you'd gone to the park looking forward to being with your friends and having fun. And you had a really big feeling and like you pushed through it. That's awesome, dude. And then the teachable moment would sound something like, so no, your friends didn't do what you wanted to do. And you had a huge feeling. And then what happened? And then he'll take me through what happened. And I'll say, okay. And like, did you end up having, you know, did you, you worked it out and and how was the activity that you all decided on? And so, and the teachable moment is okay. So no, next time. And it'll, we'll, we'll sort of like sometimes come up with a plan. Like, do you think it'd be helpful in the car to remind your brain that it has to be flexible at the park to remind your brain, you're going to have to adapt. So using the traits that we talk a lot about in the house, like flexibility, adaptability, patience, like those kinds of things. So the teachable moment will be that. So the message of competency is, dude, you did it. You should feel really proud of yourself. That's awesome. You used all your, whatever, whatever trait you want to use. And then the teachable moment and they, they really build on each other. And then like with Ben, like it would be the teachable moment would be like, okay, like what did you do to help your, uh, worry thoughts today? Like, did you just sit there and worry? What did you do? I went for a walk. I went, I told my teacher, I drank some water. I took deep breaths. What helped, what didn't help. And so like, and then you parent. So, and like, that's kind of the formula. And I think for me, Cindy, what's really, what's really, when you have those conversations with your child after the fact, the anger that you felt in the park, cause you couldn't just sit and drink your coffee and talk to your friends, it gets subsided and counteracted by like, look what I just did for, for my, like I helped Noah learn that like when things go awry in the park, it's okay. And love you're that going you to that. be okay. And so it, it, you feel better and you kind of feel like an idiot. To... You kind of feel like an idiot for being dysregulated on the bench. <laughs> so I was just going to say. Game yourself into not doing it. You know, it's funny. Like, I guess we can almost kind of um, divide, you know, these kind of challenging moments into two parts. There's the initial and then there's the post. So the initial is when the feeling and, and the escalation is actually there. And then there is the second part, which is the post part, which is when things have calmed down. So I know this question I'm about to ask you is like kind of rhetorical, but I'll help you answer it anyways. So we divide those into two parts and look at what we are asking parents to do. Part one is find compassion and acceptance. Part two is give love, repair if you have to, message of competence and do the teaching. Which part is harder, part one or part two? 
that's such a hard question you said it's rhetorical but i don't know <laughs> really i would imagine that part one would be harder because part one requires the parent to obviously not only be thinking about what my kid needs at this moment but part one is about the parent also giving that to themselves okay i have to be compassionate to myself and i have to accept that like this is just 100%. a moment yes part one part one is a hundred percent is part one is a hundred percent harder um part I think the part where part two can be harder is when you're feeling thin um and you're and you're feeling you don't feel like you you're like I don't want to feel resilient and amazing in this moment because it's not all roses and butterflies right like it's not um not every moment and, and but the truth is is that like I do have more amazing moments at the end of it with my kids than not I do um but it depends on how thin you are for other reasons in your life so that's why I paused that's fair enough and I also think in all fairness you know, when I'm thinking of my own kids, or I'm thinking about, let's say, like clients of mine who have older kids, going through a rough moment with an older kid can be very challenging. You know, the kinds of things that an older kid could throw at you, literally or metaphorically, right. um, can really, really be depleting. So in addition to like what you're highlighting, like there could be other stuff going on in your life that keeps you thin, but the actual process of going through the first part can actually be so depleting. So I can understand how sometimes depending on, you know, where the parent is at with their own emotional body, the intensity duration of the actual tantrum, of course, it could make the second part hard because we're thin. So I get that. That totally makes a lot of sense. And sometimes if the first part is so hard, like if you really can't get over that hump of compassion and love and acceptance, once you've gotten to the second part, you're just like, okay, now I have to finish. Like now I have to keep going. Right. Yeah. And you're it's, still angry or still upset or right. too tired. Um, it's like going for a walk. You always feel better at the end, but it, it's like, you know, it's like that, that getting, getting to that point, like sometimes you get to acceptance and you're like, okay but why do I, it's like you, you haven't fully accepted. Like you're trying to convince yourself that you've accepted, but like you really just want to not be dealing with this right now. Or, you know, sometimes like my kids will get into the car and they both have such intense needs at the end of their day. And like, there's two different forms of dysregulation going on and they're both coming at me from different sides. And I've just had a full work day and I'm like, oh, oh my God, like, I don't, I, I, where's the compassion for me? Like where, right? And so like, and then you feel all this pressure to wrap up their day in a nice bow and make sure that they've learned something and make sure that they've this and make sure that they've that and they feel good about it. And you're like, I, I, it's too much pressure. I can't deal with that right now. I'm too okay, so let me speak to that. Let me speak to that because I, you know, I, I don't want us to be the po podcast that sounds like it's all about rainbows and roses because that will, <laughs> that will serve no purpose and it will not be realistic at all. So in the world of reality, um, when, when the moment has either just gotten so out of control or we were too thin, the second part of what we talked about, that doesn't have to be immediate. And so listen, will there, could there be days where we all go to bed angry? Yeah, it's possible. It's not ideal. Obviously we all know that, but it could happen. 
but we aren't on a clock with how we parent. And so if you've had a wild tantrum with your kid and it finally dissipates and you finally get to a place of like behavioral calm. And if you're as a parent feeling too thin, too tired, if your kid is too spent and too tired, because that happens too, then do it the next day. Do the message of competency, the repair, the teachable moment, do it the next day. I can promise you. So maybe your toddler won't remember what happened the day before, but your younger child and certainly your older child, they will. So wait, give yourself permission to know, I don't need to do this this moment. I'm not on the clock. So Cindy, I think that as I'm thinking about wrapping up this podcast and, and what I want parents to walk away with, I want to tell a little story as like a little metaphor. So a couple of years ago, um, back in the days when Cindy was allowed in our classrooms at First Foundations without COVID, those beautiful days, um, Cindy walked into my office and she said, I need to talk to you. <laughs> I said, okay. And she said, your teachers are rushing to rid your kids of any feelings of discomfort. She said, so you're, I just watched an art activity happen. And every time a toddler had glue on their hands or paint on their shirt, and it made them feel icky and yucky, your staff were so fast to help them go and wash it off. And she said, we want, you said, we want our kids to learn to sit with the feelings of discomfort. It's good for them. They need to learn to feel uncomfortable and that it's okay, that they're going to be okay. And that is like this really like strong visual in my mind that I want parents to walk away with. When your kid, your 18-month-old, your five-year-old, your six-year-old, your 12-year-old is dysregulated in any way, they're upset, they're tantruming, they're really disappointed, they're really sad, picture them with glue on their hands and don't rush to rid them of that feeling. That feeling of uncomfortableness is good for them because that leads them to being that 40 year old who has to say to themselves, I can't go around this. I have to go through it. And I can. And Cindy, you've taught me that that's how that's what parenting is. And for me, that's what empowered parenting is. It's knowing where you're where you want to end up and how to get them there. So, you know, this just hold that visual, that, that visual of your child with glue on their hands or paint on their short. Um, it's okay to feel uncomfortable with them. You're both going to be okay. That's what I want parents to walk away from this podcast with. I love it. I love it. You know, so here we've been talking all about kind of big emotional moments and how to manage them and, and how to get to the other side and, and feel competent both within ourselves and for our children. And there's no question that family dynamics are complicated. They are pretty intense human relations. And, you know, whether it's between partners or between a parent and a child or between children themselves, they elicit a lot of emotions. So we're going to focus on this next week. We are going to focus specifically on the dynamics that could ensue between siblings. So thank you for listening today and tune in next week where we will take a look at uh, what can sometimes feel like the beautiful side, but also the intense side of sibling relationships. <laughs>